I'm John Farmer, and this is a special midweek episode of Georgian Beirut. You're about to hear an interview that I did with Leela Gilday when she was in town for Summer Folk this past August. Have a listen and stay tuned for the end when we play one of her songs. Leela, welcome to Summer Folk. Thanks for making time to chat with us. You are back in Ontario now at the, we're talking at the end of August, 2022. It's been a busy summer for you. What's it like to be traveling for festivals in 2022? It is definitely not like I remembered it, but a little bit like I remembered it. Um, first of all, I'm just really grateful to be back performing for audiences. Um, it was a lonely couple of years just playing sets from my living room um, during the pandemic. And, and though I really appreciated you know, the health measures that our CPHO put in place, it really protected our territory, which is, has a fragile healthcare system. Um, it was very isolating, and so to be connecting with audiences now is just beautiful. I'm just like, I, I really appreciate it more than ever, so, um, but the traveling part has been a little bit more hairy, <laughs> like lots of, um, I think 50% of my flights have been either delayed or canceled or rescheduled or, and, you know, there's lots, been lots of luggage snafus, and I think um, that's, that's really impacted us. Um, and also I, I forgot how exhausting it is to travel all the time for work. So I can really appreciate my time that I had at home. And to jump around through different time zones and with a band, um, because the album that you're touring right now, North Star Calling, came out in 2019, right before the world changed a whole lot for a couple of years, and is such a, such a powerful album that it really asks for a full band treatment in live performance as well. Was the approach on this album different? Because it's now been like I think twenty years since your first album. Is that? Oh is my that god, right? you're right. Okay. <laughs> is it? How is the way that you approach albums and and performing now different than that that first album that you put out? Wow, that's an excellent question, and I did not remember that milestone. For so, thank you for. I'm just walking around in this dream. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this next record that I'm working on, my sixth record, uh, is definitely different than the rest of my records, although I'm, I'm um, working with Hill Kurkutis again for, as, as my producer, and she produced my last uh, record, North Star Calling. Um, the reason that it's different, though, is not so much about the arrangements, because I will still have my bass player, MJ Dondano, and my drummer, Tony Rabel, being, um, playing on the record. Um, but the way that it's different is the way that I wrote the songs. Um, all of them are written in collaboration with fluent like, Dene language speakers. And that was a big um, stretch out of my comfort zone because the prosody is different. It's like very different to write Dene language songs in a contemporary way. So um, while still um, basing some of the melodies on traditional drum songs or uh, Etsula, that's Dene love songs, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been very challenging. And, and in part because as an adult language learner, um, you know, it's much more difficult to learn a language as an adult. But secondly, the language that I'm learning is my own language that, I, that was stolen from me. So um, that language reclamation work is very emotional. And it's, um, so it's 
that's had an impact on the record. I think the first day in studio, I just like, we laid the first track, you know, the scratch tracks and I just burst into tears because it's so momentous for me as a, as an artist, but also just as a a person. So, yeah. The way that you're describing that, I'm thinking of the, the feeling of reuniting with someone that you've been separated from, not by choice for a long period of time, which especially after two years of, of pandemic, a lot of people have felt that. And there's simultaneously that, that, the immense grief that comes with feeling that chapter and all of the ways that your heart moves in holding that, that person again. And I imagine that language is like that. Wow. You're so poetic. (laughs) That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Exactly how I feel. And, um, yeah, thanks for painting that picture for me because that's very much what it's like. Um, and, and also joyful though, too, you know, so joyful to be able to, um, make a, make a, put out songs into the world and share those, you know, from the depth of my heart and also from my culture, like being, feeling that reconnection. So yeah, it's, it's scary. Like it's very vulnerable, but also very powerful. So yeah. Well, and yeah, amazing how vulnerability and power can go together, maybe despite what dominant cultural narratives have made us think. <laughs> Incorporating um, the Dene language into albums is something that you've you've done before. And thinking about North Star Calling, there there's at least one track that um, uh, Kenata Natseju, if I didn't butcher that entirely. <laughs> um, and so, but you're performing language you're performing songs that are in the Dene language and you're an artist that tours all around the world mm-hmm. what has it been like for you even with the albums that you've put out so far performing and bringing the Dene language to audiences that might not otherwise be familiar with it that's that's a really great question and one that I've sort of reflected on um, because all of my previous records I did use you know snippets of language um that were that I got help with translation or um but in this in this record the song started in the language and then um and then my collaborators would translate what that meant for me so it was almost like um I I mean I have a a very very baby like basic grasp of languages and there are actually three different Dene languages on this record um, because of the collaborators that I chose. So, um, so in a way, hearing the songs for, or hearing the, the poetry for the first time for me is, in, is kind of a window into how other people who don't speak Dene languages would experience them. Um, and I still found it very powerful. I think um, the, the connection, I think, is there if you listen to... Um, if you listen to the songs with an open heart, it'll still impact you in the way that all the rest of my music has, even if even the ones in English impact people, because I think there's like a subtext, a musical subtext that is communicated. Even if you don't, don't have like a direct translation sitting right in front of you that people respond to on a different level. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And well, and thinking about the themes on, on North Star Calling, mm-hmm. you don't shy away from things that are very, very difficult. Like mm-hmm. there's, there is both 
pain represented and the moving through and healing from and um, well, even just the, the refrain of, of we are here. Um, do, can, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm stumbling over this question, but I'm, I'm curious, like what, what makes it possible for you to create an album that is so, well, like we said earlier, manages both a vulnerability and a strength and, and power in that? That was a not a straightforward no, question. I understand what you're trying to say. And I think, I think it's just reflective of where I am in my life. Um, you know, I'm 47 years old. Um, I've gone through lots of very painful stuff. I've experienced lots of joyful and incredibly inspiring things. And I feel humbled by it. And so, um, you know, the pandemic was very difficult for many, many people. Um, but I think it forced a lot of realizations, and so including myself. And so being able to kind of stay home and be connected to my land for the first time really in 25 years, probably, you know, mm. because I sing about these things, but it wasn't until then that I was really able to just like go out every day and, and watch the seasons change or go out and, you know, pick berries or go fishing or whatever, um, with no concern about, Oh, when my next tour date was and like, let's get all this happening. Like it was a chance to really sit back and, and reflect on what my true values are and where, what my place on, on this earth is, you know, and in the kind of like universe. Mm. So speaking from that place, it's not really about, you know, um, strength or vulnerability, but just about authenticity. And that's, that's the place that I've been able to come to, especially, you know, in the last year or so, I've really had to examine what my priorities are. And, and, uh, that's, I think, put the, put the, um, language record into sort of speeding straight ahead because to me language reclamation is one of the most powerful things you can do to um to support our whole entire communities as indigenous people uh on a healing path and that's i think our that that's where where we are or you know need to go or that's what needs to happen so for me that's like my small part that i can do not just for myself and my family and my community, but for the larger community. Well, and hearing you say that makes me think that having an artist using the language to make art that then lets you travel and share your craft around the world really shows that all of well, the centuries of, of colonial assertion that that language is not useful or that if you're going to, be successful that you need to be successful in English mm -hmm. that like it shows very clearly that that those are lies absolutely and there's lots of people that have walked this path before me um, my friend Diet has released a, a record in her southern Toshone language um, Jeremy Dutcher comes to mind there's my my friend Diga Wolf who's a Tlicho mm -hmm. artist from uh, that he's gotten a, a little bit of recognition, like a couple Juno nominations. He's been releasing records in Clinchon for years. So it's um, it's definitely not, you know, an unfamiliar path. And there's lots of artists that have gone there before me. And I, and I just, I'm honored to add my voice to that chorus. And, you know, despite how hard it is, like I, 
you know, you, you and I are talking in this language that I've spoken since I've been born and it's easy for both of us, you know, like it's, I have a mastery of this language. I can write poetry in it. So it's very humbling to like be writing songs in a language that I don't like, it's not only so challenging for me emotionally to reclaim, but also I can't, I can't express myself in the same way, you know, but I'm, but it's a journey. So yeah, it's a <laughs> humbling honor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to circle back to your use of the word authenticity there when we were talking about that, um, the, the character of, of that album and the, the different themes that are woven together so, so powerfully there. And um, I just want to say thank you for authenticity as the language because I, it strikes me that as we, like, if we're going to make art that is authentically human, by definition, it's going to have that real mix of things in it. Mm-hmm. And, and we as, as people are going to bring our own various histories to that. And I'm curious for you, like, knowing that you are, you're pursuing this album, which is so informed by Dene traditions, mm-hmm. And knowing that some of your musical background draws from maybe more Western musical traditions, how do you, as a someone who's making music now, bring those those different bases together in a in a way that I, I don't I guess just together I was going to say in a way that's balanced or that yeah. that lets you maybe use both both sides of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I'm making that question too complicated. I you know I think it's just the way that you that everybody lives their life there's all these facets that you have of yourself that kind of are synthesized into your own worldview and um for me you know certain certain of those things are more important or less important to me and I kind of draw on what inspires me and that's I think the the place that I like to speak from um I also like to to challenge myself and so um in 2021 I think yeah 20 yeah 2021 um I actually did this piece with uh, against the grain opera um and I think this is kind of what you're alluding to um with Joel Ivany who's an amazing uh, director of a small opera company in Toronto um and we did a piece uh it was called the Messiah complex and it was a video shot all over Canada in different regions and in different languages. And it it used Handel's Messiah as the basis for the piece. And the Toronto symphony was, uh, you know, the, the backing band I'm using air quotes here. (laughs) Um, but I actually had my aunties and my mom help me to translate one of the pieces into Dene Kede. And then I, I just basically put that, and uh, on into the RA and I sung that and that was kind of like the the weird Denekade like <laughs> first time that it ever happened um, which I thought was really cool and I I really enjoyed it and it, it challenged me because I haven't sung in an operatic way for for many years like even though that was my musical background is uh, I came to I went to music school and I studied opera um, yeah I I like to push myself in different ways. It I enjoy it. What made uh, what made the kind of fork in the path away from opera? Because opera is its own world. Like yes. that's it, yeah. and it's a very, in some ways, um, defined world. Yeah. Um, what what set the what set you towards an acoustic guitar and 
and the, well, I'll use air quotes, folk world um, for that journey? Um, that was basically just a yearning in my heart to tell the stories that I felt I wanted to tell from my own perspective as a northerner, as a Dene woman, um, because obviously singing um, in opera, um, not so much now, but, you know, 25 years ago, um, there were still contemporary composers telling, you know, I, I'm thinking of Barbara Kroll or um, there were a couple of different opera, native opera composers, but there were really not to me as a young um, student of opera, not a lot available to me to not a lot of those scores available to me to where I was like, yes, this is me telling our stories through my art. And I really yearned to do that. So um, before I studied opera, I was in the folk world. Like I started performing when I was eight. And, um, you know, my my dad is a musician. Um, and in my in our household, there was like a lot of Stan Rogers, like my mom loved like Joan Baez, you know, there was Baez, there was lots, lots of different kind of folk music in our household. And that was sort of where my career had started as a child. So I sort of went back to that sort of expression and my palette, like my musical palette was informed by, I don't know, my first three tapes were like Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin and Whitney Houston. And then all of these like Canadian and American folk artists and then also, we had lots of um, classical music in our house, and then we also used to go to drum dances and tea dances all the time. So it was this very like diverse thing that informed my songwriting and storytelling, um, diverse palette, I should say. Um, and so I really wanted to use that. It was my creative voice that kind of pushed me. And I, I didn't have a piano in the place that I was staying, so I taught myself how to play the guitar and started playing open stages. I had moved to Toronto at this point because for love. <laughs> what did love guys do? That? <laughs> it was like fate, I guess. <laughs> and that, I think people, um, especially as, as someone who pr helps to promote a local folk festival, people have a particular idea of what folk is. Mm -hmm. And I think more and more those like sticky, like, record store genre categories are hard or outdated um do you think that like hearing you so like influenced by um such a variety of of artists and and genres um do you think that we're like i guess what does folk mean to you then if if it can have roots that draw inspiration from so many places i think folk is the music of the people so um, whoever those people are, um, I think informs what that means. So getting away from, you know, just what the classic, you know, the classic folk sound that people would expect to hear at a folk festival 30 years ago is a good thing because the diversity of, um, music enriches us. Um, so when I talk about folk, I think, um, it's beautiful to see artists from, um, I'm thinking of like, I went, I was at Hillside a couple of weeks ago and I met, or a few weeks ago and I met this girl named Vivalda and she was from Angola. And so to hear her music, which is the music of her people, like we had a long conversation about what type of music she plays and why she does it. Um, 
I think that just enriches all of us. So to see very diverse artists at folk music festivals, hey, I, th- I think that's great. <laughs> and I guess just thinking about that too, like we often see labeling of or kind of an offsetting of indigenous performers and and in award shows especially where um, do you think that we're moving... Yeah, do you think that we're moving past that kind of that kind of labeling? Like, it, or will we reach a point where folks are performers and th- the art is the art, or is there? Yeah, or is do we still need that? Um, because so often, like, and recognizing those categories were created because folks were being um, kept out of mm-hmm. other other categories for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, You've you've mentioned a, a number of performers who have been widely recognized for the work that they're doing, who happen to be Indigenous artists. Mm-hmm. Are we? Like, is there a tension there, or or is is the status quo of that um, working? Do you think? Well, now that you call it the status quo, I don't. <laughs> I like to bust the status quo. Um, yeah, I've been asked about this, particularly in the context of the Junos. Mm. I think it's still important to have an Indigenous category. Um, I really love that they broke it up into two um, two separate Indigenous categories, mm. the traditional and the contemporary, mm. um, because I think it's important to preserve our traditional art forms and not conflate it with the kind of contemporary work that I do. Um yeah, I, th- I think labeling has always been kind of problematic because then people get left in or included or like it's just, but it also does help to kind of um, direct people's attention to artists that they may be interested in but don't know exist. It's a difficult, it's a difficult one. You know, I, for myself, I call my music Indigenous Folk Roots, um, but somebody else might call me you know, folk rock or I don't know. I really, I have a difficulty, I have a difficult time with this question. Like I, on the one hand, I think it's important to have um, spaces that where we celebrate specifically Indigenous music, especially because there's nowhere else in the world that it exists. This, you know, this kind of like Dene music is from, my er- there's a particular area in the world and it is geographically like my area it doesn't exist in another country um so i think it's important to recognize that kind of musical sovereignty that exists mm-hmm. for indigenous music specifically in this country and it, or in turtle island really um but yeah i i, I don't like the like boxing out <laughs> i guess so i'm not sure what what to, where to go with that one? Well, and and apologies. It's it's a uh, it's, it's a good question. Yeah, it's one of the things that we struggle with. Yeah. To yeah, with all of the ways that we want to move forward in a better yeah. way than we than we have been. Um, and the you you spoke about your music and and the traditional music of that place being so specific to um, to Denende and. I'm 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 curious for you. Like I heard you in a in a workshop in 2019. Um, it was I think September in Ontario, and you were trying to invoke like we're there. It's minus 40. The snow is blowing. <laughs> oh, yeah, falling stars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 
And, and for some people who have never had the privilege of, of being in the North or, or visiting your part of the world, that I am, I imagine that for some folks, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of cast your, your mind there. Um, what, what is it that you're trying to invoke when you're inviting people into, into that place? I'm very lucky to live in this beautiful part of the world, uh, Den and Day. And I want people to visualize it. If they can't travel there, I want people to come to my place. I think, um, and, and people can do that through music. So I, I think that's, I just want to share my home, you know, with people. Um, because I feel it's beautiful and inspiring, and I hope that it touches them in that way too. Um, you know, the one of the the deep themes that runs through my music is that connection to the land and the water, because I feel that so strongly. Um, and obviously, as an Indigenous person, we kind of take up the the mantle of being guardians of the earth or guardians of the water. Um, but that connection is there for everyone like that's the thing is that we are humans and the earth is what sustains us you know mm. um and that that reality is at the basis of our life here on earth um whether people remember that or not you know obviously we're in kind of a precarious situation now with with climate change and uh, i don't know where we're going but i i hope that if people can come to my territory and can feel that you know, that beautiful connection that maybe they'll remember that basis of, of our life and maybe it might impact their life in some way. Um, hearing the, the kind of reverence or, or the, yeah, the reverence that you're, that you described there. Um, it makes me kind of think that if people are in awe of something or think that, or see the wonder in it, if they think it's wonderful, they'll work to protect it. And so much that's what we need. Um, thanks for bringing your music to Summer Folk this weekend and for making some time to, to chat with me. Um, we're talking on the Friday afternoon before the festival kicks off. Um, you'll spend some time in the main stage. And when you mentioned the, your sixth album that you're working on, um, is, is there a timeline for that? Or is that, is yeah, that going to uh, come when it comes? It's, I mean, potentially. <laughs> uh, the record is um, we're still working. We're still in the production phase. Um, just finished finished pre production. So um, I'm hoping to release the first singles next fall, like fall 2023. However, I will be like much like I did at at Home County, performing some of the songs from it um, for audiences here at Summerfolk. And I'm so excited to be here. I. I just love this festival and I'm really looking forward to our main stage performance tonight and all the workshops we have this weekend. When were you here most recently? Uh, I was trying to figure that out. I think it was 2014, 2015. It's been a while. <laughs> well, wonderful to have you back and thanks again for taking time to chat with me today. Is there a particular song that you think that we should play to end this interview? Um, well, you talked about falling stars, so falling stars would be great. Masi Cho, thank you so much. Thank you, and we'll play Falling Stars by Leela Gilday right now.
calling me home to then and Oh 